Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Uh, yeah, here, here we are. We made it, fam. <laughs> wow. I get what Matt's, why, you can say there, Grant, I get it. No. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, when I was rehearsing earlier today, um, like talking at a wall to like practice, like felt really weird. So I had lo-fi music going the whole time. So I feel like I should have lo-fi music playing right now. What do you think? Remix? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the second Wednesday Ignite service. This is, um, this is so much fun. Uh, normally, these would be on like the first Wednesdays, uh, but... Last week, which was the first Sunday, we were coming off the backside of conference, and I was just like, oh, I can't, there's no way. And man, am I glad that that was how it went, because now I've got a whole bunch of other things from the conference that I get to share with you guys. I get to pour some of that Holy Spirit gasoline onto this service with us. So um, with that, let me just say a quick word of prayer, and let's, uh, let's dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, God, you are good, and... We just want to discover that goodness once again tonight. We want to discover your goodness, your, your love for us, and, and God, we want more of you. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this thing. And so we're, we invite you in. We invite you into, into this place, into our hearts, into our minds. Open our ears. Open our, our, our um, eyes to the things that you want us to see and to reveal to us, Lord. We love you, God. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, as uh, Nikki said, my name is Evan. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Takeover Church. Um, and this is my first message. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's actually good. I'm not. I'm actually not that nervous. So I'm pretty excited. I shared with Amy uh, yesterday that. So I, I've given several messages, and the last uh, um, message I actually preached at a church. It was for Youth Sunday, and it was in front of still half the church that I didn't know because they were, well, like thrice my age. So <laughs> it, was, it was like a totally different. And I just. I told Amy that this is just, I feel so calm because like this is my family, this is my friends and like it feels good, man. So I'm excited, I'm excited to share with you what's been uh, deposited in me and put on my heart. Um, and so with that, um, I'm gonna kind of be uh, ripping through this thing as I sent Matt all the scriptures and he's like, man, you got like almost half the New Testament in here. <laughs> so we're gonna rip and it's gonna be great. So have your notes out, just jot down verses. You're gonna wanna go back and, uh, um, and, and be on these things. So anyways, let's get in this. My, the title of my message is Becoming More Like Jesus by dot, dot, dot. Is it up on the screen? Like super cool? <laughs> oh, an ellipsis. Yeah, but it sounds better as dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Becoming more like Jesus by ellipses. Yeah, it does not work. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, to start, I want to go to one of my favorite books that I own. It's this, it's this big old book right here. Um, it's actually one of five because it's, uh, it's an encyclopedia. <laughs> the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. I uh, got it at the thrift store for like eight bucks. And I was like, wow, that looks cool. And I started looking through it and I was like, this is cool. So um, it's... Uh, it's super cool. It was published here in Grand Rapids in 1960 with an original copyright of 1929. Exactly. That's what I was like. That's even cooler. But the coolest thing is what's in it, right? Uh, so I looked up uh, what it had to say about the word disciple. 
because as the pastor of discipleship, I was trying to figure out, oh, what am I gonna, what am I gonna teach on? And then I was like, oh, duh, I'm the pastor of discipleship. I should probably <laughs> preach about what it means to be a disciple. So that's what I want to do while I'm up here, when I have the privilege to be up here and, and talk and teach and preach and the whole gambit of that. Uh, I wanna be able to come alongside you guys, equip you and to just learn what a disciple is and what a disciple isn't, right? So with that said, um, I looked up this definition as a place to start, and there's some pretty cool things in here. I'm just going to take a few of them because, I mean, it's an encyclopedia. It's long. So um, in all cases, it, meaning the term disciple, implies that a person not only accepts the views of the teacher, but that he is also in practice an adherent. So he, he adheres. He, he, he's in practice. So he's, it's something that they are not only agreeing with, but it's something they are putting into practice, something they're living out, right? And then uh, I'll jump down a little bit farther. The disciple of Christ today may be described in the words of Farrar, I have no idea who that is, as one who believes his doctrines, rests upon his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. Now, this thing came out in 1916, it was earlier, so I had no idea what imbibe means, so I looked it up, and it basically means um, to absorb or to um, assimilate. So I'll read that again. A disciple is one who believes his doctrines, Jesus, rests upon his sacrifice, imbibes his spirit, and imitates his example. Oh, get ready, this is going, this is going somewhere. Um, so this definition is great, but it's, it's dense. Obviously, there's a ton there. And I, I want to give us a little bit of a better operational working definition. Um, and so discipleship, simply put, is you becoming more like Jesus by dot, dot, dot. Okay? So discipleship is you becoming more like Jesus by, insert, whatever. Okay? And I really like thinking about it this way because it's, it's pretty broad and it allows for so many avenues of application because it always comes back to Jesus. It always centers on becoming like him. And at its core, that's what it's all about, becoming a, a little Christ. It's moving from just being a person into a, a spiritual person, becoming spiritually alive. And it's that, what's, it's, it's that that makes us a brother and sister in Christ. And so how does this happen? Well, we're going to dive into some basics. Today's just going to be a flyover, and we'll come back for more um, in the future. <laughs> uh, so, so basic number one, discipleship is becoming more like Jesus by obeying his teachings. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, okay, yeah. <laughs> becoming, or discipleship is becoming more like Jesus by obeying his teachings. It's the personal task of becoming more like Jesus. It's the personal responsibility to obey and embody Jesus' teaching. And it's your responsibility to be disciplined in your actions and your choices so that you align with the heart of God. A lot of the time, it's, a lot of the time doing this isn't your knee-jerk reaction. It's not exactly what you want to do. In fact, a lot of the times it's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. And so it's no wonder why the Bible uses terms like dying to self and picking up your cross in order to follow Christ. It's dying to self and trusting the words of Jesus more than it is trusting the words in your heart and in your head. So what are some of the things that Jesus teaches and asks of us? Well, let's run through a quick list of commands that Jesus gives us. Um, and so starting uh, just with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, uh, don't hate, 
don't hate. <laughs> don't lust. Give to the needy. Let the Lord have revenge. Love your enemies. I'm making you proud, Matt. Don't worry. Turn, <laughs> turn the other cheek. Uh, don't worry about your needs, such as like clothes and food. Don't judge others. And then he kind of ends the um, or ends the list by saying, therefore, or be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, <laughs> small order. <laughs> and then later in the Gospel of John, uh, he, he adds this. Uh, this is John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think we can actually sum it up just the way that Jesus summed it up when he was asked, teacher, what's the most important uh, uh, commandment? And he summarizes the whole law and he says, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so these are just a few of the things that Jesus taught his followers, some things to do and some things not to do, right? And in a way, there it is. It's all laid out. Is, that's, is, is that as simple as it is to be a disciple? Well, short answer, yeah. Is it easy? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, speaking from personal <laughs> take. It's not easy. There's a cost. There's, there's sacrifice. There's discipline. I mean, Disciple and discipline have the same root word, right? But even beyond just discipline and grit, it's, it's working to turn yourself into something that you're not, okay? Dying to your selfish and self-centered nature that we're prone and predisposed to. So really, in effect, and simply put, part of being a disciple is to stop sinning. <laughs> now, I know that the term and the idea of sin has kind of been... Um, hijacked and abused in the history of the church before. Um, and it's been used as like a manipulative weapon to uh, bend people's will to, to do things that are not backed by the Bible, right? <laughs> um, and so I just want to quick uh, take away any of those maybe preconceived notions or ideas and, and, and talk about what sin is real quick and, and what it does to us. So what is sin? Sin is living outside of God's intent for our lives. It's missing the mark of how we're crea created to be, and it's, it's redefining good and evil for ourselves. It's, it's when we seize autonomy from God, we, we separate ourselves and say, I, God, I don't need you. <laughs> I, can, I can make my own choices. Sin is everything that God's not. And so if, if God is the giver of life, that can only mean that the road of sin is a road to death. And it's a long road with a lot of twists and turns that, that corrupts and, and drives us further and further and separates us from God, from our creator, from the very place that we're designed to live and flourish in. And so it, it ends up changing us little bit by little bit into something uh, more hellish and demonic and not even human anymore. That's what sin does to us. It looks good on the surface, but it's got some real bad intent below. But it's not just enough to say no to ourselves and our sinful nature. We also have to say yes to the right and beneficial things too. This is what it means to be a disciple. <laughs> this reminds me of something that Pastor Lee uh, uh, said at the conference. And he only said it in passing. Uh, he was talking about how Radiant Church, uh, when they were starting, they were dedicating themselves to be a church of prayer. Okay? And in order to do that, um, they had to say uh, uh, yes to being a church of prayer, and they had to say no to, like, what do you say, a thousand other things, okay? Like, they could have been uh, a church that was just like, oh, we're going to be a worship, or we're going to be 
um, we're going to be a seeker-friendly church. We're going to be this or that. But they said, no, we're going to be a church of prayer. And so they had to say no to, uh, you know, any number of things. But, but the line he said was that by saying yes to something, you're saying no to a, a thousand other things. And so this stuck with me, and I kind of mulled over it. And, 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 and I realized that this is why it's so imperative that we learn to say no to our sinful, sinful self. Because if we can't learn to say no, then our yes to God has very little meaning. In, in order for your yes to, oh wait, oh, I gotta go back then. <laughs> it's imperative to learn to say no to your sinful self because if you can't learn to say no, then your yes to God doesn't mean very much. In order for your yes to mean something, you have to say no to a thousand other things. And so this is where I get to move from teaching real quick and put on that pastor hat. For y'all, wow, that was cheesy, man. Hey, I, I was, like, brought up in the faith at a summer camp. Like, this is, you get quirkiness, okay? <laughs> yes, Zach. Yeah, okay. Um, so I've actually realized this phenomenon uh, once again in my own life just recently. Um, I put on some happy marriage pounds, y'all. <laughs> Roughly about 30 of them to be exact. <laughs> I had my physical today. Uh, so <laughs> Um, so now I'm in a place uh, where I say, yes, I want to be healthier, and I want to I start losing this poundage. Um, but man, you know what? I, I can't say no to how much food they just put on my plate. You know, or I can't say no about how, how big of a work they had, and I'm just like, I just don't have the energy to work out. And you know I can't say no to those McChickens. They are only a buck. <laughs> this is a confession, y'all. <laughs> So do you see how my yes to being healthier means very little if I can't learn to say no? <laughs> so my question to you, though, is what are you not saying no to to really make your yes a yes? A few examples. You can say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you have a spouse out there for me, but you can't stop saying no to porn. You can say, yes, Jesus, I trust you with my well-being and, and, and my financial needs, but you still can't say no to tithing regularly. You still say no to tithing regularly. You can say, yes, Jesus, I want good friends and a good community that builds me up, but you still don't know, or you still say no and make excuses when they hold you accountable. And we can say, yes, Jesus, I, I want to experience your joy, but you can't say no to late night Saturday plans that make you sleep in and hit the snooze button and then you can't get to church on time to experience the joy of worship and you can say yes God I want you to be my comforter but you still can't say no to alcohol or another substance for a temporary relief and you can say yes God I, I want to grow closer to you and I want to know what your will for my life is but you can't say no to everything else that makes your schedule busy too busy to be in his word and to talk to him about that will. Now hear me out, I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers or name names or anything like that because I've been in every single one of these. <laughs> Some of them I still struggle with. But my yes to God is only as good as my no's are to things that work against that yes. Your yes is only as strong as your no's are to back it. And so if there's anything, if you're anything like me, you probably get your nose and your yeses mixed up more than you're really willing to admit. And I can't resist my sinful nature. 
Paul talks about this struggle. <laughs> but my humanity, it doesn't change what Jesus asks of me, right? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just move that hand up. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, that's quite a tall order, and quite frankly, it's impossible for me to achieve. But this is where we finally get to the good news, friends. My humanity doesn't change what Jesus asks of me, but my humanity doesn't change what Jesus offers me. He offers me a way to change. You see, he offers me his strength, his victory, and his spirit. And so this is what brings me to basic number two. We're only going through two basics, so I don't know if you wanted more, but we'll, you'll get more on a future date. <laughs> basic number two. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All right? Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So remember that the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. The terminology of using the word person is very intentional here, and it's to help specify the individuality from God the Father and God the Son. But due to the nature of our triune God being three in one, it's just as fair to say that the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Christ as well as the very Spirit of God the Father, okay? But so that we don't get like lost in, lost in, the, in the weeds here, um, I just kind of want to leave it at that. And going forward, I just want to, uh, we're just going to dive into some scripture here, okay? And we're going to let scripture reveal and teach us who God is, all right? All right, and we'll probably move, move through them pretty quickly, so um, no need to look them up. We'll throw them up on the screen and just uh, read them and track with me. So the first one, John 14, 26, and they should be in the right order. Yes. <laughs> All right. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, uh, advocate, um, other translations say the helper, um, and it's the Greek term paraclete or uh, parakritas. I think I said that right. I was having like a shouting match with my computer with like the pronounce it and I say it. Parakletas. <laughs> so, little window into how I do things. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, now that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. A little later in John, John 15, verse 26. I might be going through these real fast, Kelsey. Oh, wow, she's good. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And still again, a little later in John, John chapter 16, five through seven. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness in the coming judgment. Then I got one more uh, bonus one because I know Pastor Matt really likes it. So we're going to jump over to the Gospel of Luke 24, verse 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father has promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you up with power from heaven. That is dunamis power. Retweet. Go back and watch Matt's sermon. So, of course, we see the fulfillment of, of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? In Acts 2, in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, uh, it's the disciples and the, the rest of the 120, and there's uh, tongues of fire. People start speaking in different languages, and then other people think that they're drunk. And then Peter gets up, and he gives, like, this crazy account of the gospel and who Jesus is, and, like, 3,000 people are saved. It was nuts, okay? <laughs> 
And then we see in the rest of the book of Acts that not only just the people that were there and the 12 disciples, not just Jewish people were receiving the Holy Spirit, but Gentiles were too. You can see this in Acts 10:44 and 19:6, And so we see that Christ's followers, his disciples, and I don't mean just the 12 disciples, but I, I mean the new believers, the new people who proclaim Jesus as Lord and are baptized in his name, they are being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Christ, with God's Spirit, okay? So I need to pause again real quick uh, and, and share another thing from the, uh, the conference we were at. I know, Zach, you talked about this. I can't remember if it was a team rally or what, but I remember you, you, you brought this up. But it was on day two of the conference when Corey Asbury was uh, teaching about one of the ancient dreams. Of, oh, sorry, Corey Asbury. Is that, that's a musician? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too many Corys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey Russell. Thank you. I'd feel really bad if this ever made its way to him and then he didn't, like, get proper credit. Oops. <laughs> Okay, so he was talking about one of the ancient dreams of God, where God desires to dwell closely and intimately with his people, okay? And so he showed us in Psalm uh, 132 and 2 Samuel 7 that David finally becomes king of Israel, okay? And he has everything that he, he's wanted and been told he's going to receive, and, and, and it's the time where he's at, like, his high point, is his victory, but he looks out his window and his heart just breaks because here he is, he has this and he's blessed beyond all measure, but God doesn't have a dwelling place of his own. You see, up to this point, God was living in a box, <laughs> in a box in a tent. And that's not really an intimate place to be, to be dwelling and, and trying to be intimate with, with your people, you know? And so David gives this proclamation and that he won't, he won't sleep until he, he gets this house for the Lord. And, and it strikes a chord in God. It's a, the chord where he loves his people so deeply and he wants us to be close to him. And he wants to be close to us. And at that moment, David got it right. He knew the heart of our father. That's probably why he's called a man after God's own heart. He understood that God's desire is so deep for us to be close to him. Now, let's see how this plays out in scripture. In the beginning, there was God, Adam, and Eve, right? And they were walking together in the garden, and it was, it was beautiful. It was very good. It was the way things were supposed to be, right? But then sin happens, and we have to be removed from God's presence. We are no longer holy. And so they get cast out of the garden, but, but, but God makes a promise. You see, he, he already had a game plan. He always had a game plan. But then sin happened, right? And he made this promise to Abraham to make a nation from him and to be their God, to be and they will be his people, right? So he establishes his people group again. And he builds that people group and lives among them in the tabernacle, like we talked about. And then uh, David, who built it's the temple, correction, it's actually Solomon, his son, who gets to build the temple. But he gets the temple, right? Just like all the other gods. But that's not good enough. That's not our God. So God decides instead that he himself would come down as God the Son and become man himself to be closer to us, okay? And, and, and this is, well, keep setting it. You'll keep getting your mind blown about how this goes. So, so God becomes man, okay? God in the bod. That's what uh, he is, <laughs> okay? And you can find this in, that one's for Matt. 
feel free to use it. Uh, John, you can see this in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says that the word, the word that is God the Son, the word became flesh, the word became man and made his, what? Dwelling among us, okay? He wants to be with us. He wants to teach us how to seek the Father and to make a way with his very own life. He becomes the bridge for us even to be close to God again. But even with all of that, it's still not enough. And so Jesus tears the veil when he dies. And well, yeah, when he dies, it was torn. He tears that veil and he sends his Holy Spirit to live with us, to live in us, to dwell in his followers, okay? This is the kind of intimacy that God wants with us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is those who profess Jesus, in those who profess Jesus as Lord, and it's like a deposit, okay? It's a deposit that makes us share in Christ. It's kind of like a deposit on a home mortgage, okay? Like, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you make the deposit, and then you can sign off that you own the home, right? But who, who still owns the home more? Yeah, the bank, okay? But you get to, you, you, you get to own the home. You get to live in it, but you got to work, you got to continue to work and invest in that home so that it can fully and entirely be yours, okay? So it's like when we get the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we share in who Jesus is, his victories, his powers, his freedom, and his resurrection, but we still got to put the work in and invest in this, right? That's a quick lesson in like the already not yet regenerative uh, reconciliation, if you want the big words for it. <laughs> This union, that was nerdy, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> this union with Christ by the Holy Spirit is what makes us adopted sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ, okay? Because uh, we got the next one, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family, and together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Isn't this crazy? Well, it doesn't stop, so here we go. <laughs> we keep seeing how good God is. And you see, a crazy thing happens when God decides to take up residency in you. The things that are not like him, that aren't holy, they have no business anymore being there. Okay? They have to go. But our God's a loving God. And love is patient, and it's, it's not domineering. And so our God is a good father who wants to teach us. And so for us to, to, to learn underneath him, he wants us to be like, like our big brother. And he loves us, so he gave us a free will of our own. And so that's why it's a, he asked for us to partner with him. He wants us to learn and to walk in step with him. So I want to go back uh, to part of that definition of discipleship from the encyclopedia, specifically the, that word imbibe. Um, I told you it means uh, to absorb or assimilate. Uh, but it's also a term in botany you know, like flowers and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's a term used for the process of a seed soaking in water so it will start to grow. It's the process by which a dormant seed is sprung into life and transforms into something different. 
And so just like the water is to the seed, so is the Holy Spirit to us, okay? When the Holy Spirit comes into us and takes up residency, we start to come alive. We start to transform and we start to change. We start to grow and become something truly magnificent and beautiful. I mean, why do you think Jesus is called the living waters? <laughs> it's because his own spirit, the spirit of God is what has the real ability to make us alive spiritually. And it's by Jesus in us that we have any real power to change or make change. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. I feel like I have to like footnote all the scripture places. So like if you want to go back and find them. This is how loving our Father in heaven is. He wants us to be near to him, but we can't because of our sinful and rebellious nature. So he himself paid the price, was the atoning sacrifice and cleared our debt. But even more than that, he doesn't just leave us there after cleaning up the mess. Like a good parent, he comes down to our level. He, he became a man and he teaches us in person. He get, then gives us the power of the Spirit so that we can even know how to live and how to grow. He shares himself so intimately with us that we start to grow and transform into people that actually begin to look like Christ. It wasn't enough just to come down and clean up the mess because that was never the end goal. The end goal was for God and his people to be able to dwell, to live, to grow, to, to love and be together. But hey, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> Let's look at scripture and take scripture's word for it. Um, so we're going to read a chunk of Romans, but I, I want to challenge you. With all of this that I've just shared on your mind, we're reading Romans. We're reading the Bible. We're reading scripture, the living word. These words are alive. They're truth. They're real. And they bring life. So how about we come alive, y'all? All right, Kelsey, go ahead and throw that Romans one up there. <clears throat> so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead now we follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Amy, <laughs> you almost said the exact same thing. <laughs> <Early>. <laughs> She didn't know. She didn't know what I was going to be talking. Um, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then he does this. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. <laughs> I don't know. It's in, it's in parentheses, so that's how I read it. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right 
with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, (laughs) he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you, are not, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are, his heirs, of God, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And that part's a different message. <laughs> Isn't this good? Like, have you ever read Romans and been taken aback and like, whoa, it's so plain and, and simple and it makes sense. And like, I, I, it's because it's living, it's meant to connect. It's meant to connect with the very deepest parts of who we are. So this is real freedom. It's, it's not living into our nature, but it's living into God's nature, the nature of God's spirit. It's to live in step with that spirit so that we are drawn closer and closer to him. But remember that I said that this is a partnership and that God's love is not domineering. God will not override the free will that he gave us. He's a gentleman. (laughs) That's what makes this partnership a union. God's power can only change what it's led into. God's power can only change what it's led into. And so your, your agency and your personhood isn't erased when you get the Holy Spirit. You're still you, and, and you maybe actually you might even be more you, if that makes any sense. <laughs> you are still called to do your part and obey Christ's call of how we're supposed to live. The difference is now that we have the, the real fuel inside of us that actually empowers us to start living like Jesus did and be who he's called us to be as his church. Let me go back to what we talked about earlier about saying yes to the good things uh, and the right things and, and no to the things of our flesh. I need to go back because we just walked through the Romans passage and it talked about how we're adopted sons and daughters and that we're in Christ Jesus and that we have his spirit in us empowering us to live righteous and holy lives. We went through all this, but I know for a fact that some of us here, instead of being fired up um, and, and hopeful by all of this, when you hear it, instead you're feeling feelings of confusion and doubt because you're still stuck in your sin and your shame. I know that because that's, that was me preparing this message. <laughs> I, there was this running dialogue in my mind accusing me of being a hypocrite and asking me, if, if this is true and you have this power, like why are you still struggling with your sin? Maybe you don't actually have that power. Maybe the power's not real. But this is the part where I get to submit my feelings of my heart and my mind, and I get to surrender those to the the truths that I'm told in Scripture. That's where the Spirit comes back and says, yeah, it feels that way, but that's that's not what it is. What have have I told you? It's It's not by my righteousness. Or sorry, whoa. My fe- um, but this is the part where I get to submit those feelings to the truths that I'm told in Scripture, that my righteousness isn't ratified by my own merits. 
but rather it's by the sacrifice and the stripes of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you realize that your body is a, a temple for the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I realized that I had this like preconceived notion of if I had the Holy Spirit, then like I wouldn't struggle with sin anymore. <laughs> but that's not reality. That's not what hustling with the Holy Spirit looks like, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I was like, as I'm like thinking these things, I'm like, oh, this sounds like Matt. Oh no, oh no, this sounds like Matt. And I was like, ah, that'll be good. <laughs> I admire you, man. <laughs> Worship team, you can uh, actually make your way up here now. <laughs> actually, yeah, no. That is a Matt joke, but no, I mean it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, remember when I said this is like family and friends here? This is great. So as I was preparing and thinking about... <laughs> As I was preparing and thinking about this message, I was pondering about, like, this mystery of the struggle of the Holy Spirit in me and my sinful nature, right? Like, this, this war that's happening inside me. And I kept getting this imagery uh, come to mind of letting the Holy Spirit in, into the home of my heart, uh, or, or rather, like, like the, the home of my spirit. And the Holy Spirit's coming to clean, clean that house, Okay. I kept thinking about how I would open the door to let the Holy Spirit in and, and how clean is my house. And, and it, would I be excited? Would I, would I just crack the door and, and peek and say, who is it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I kept thinking about how inviting my home actually is for God's Spirit to dwell. Yeah, there are some areas that are clean, sure, but there are plenty of areas that aren't. There are some areas that I can't even clean or that I don't know are dirty. There's other spaces that I've been taught how to clean, but I, I, I don't clean them because I'm lazier. I just would rather live in that mess. So how much longer will it take for the Holy Spirit to come in and clean house? It, 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 instead of the Holy Spirit coming in and, and, and teaching me how to clean and teaching me uh, maybe how to clean a new area or, or, or to go and clean a room f like, like on my behalf, I guess, like instead, we're having to go back and like keep working on the same mess or cleaning up new messes. And I, I was I was thinking about like this this imagery, and I started to, f to fall into that trap of shame. Of like here we are once again. Like I I find myself at this mess, but I, I, I beg you don't get swallowed in your shame because if you find yourself returning to the same messes, God is still there with you. He's exactly where he wants to be, and that's next to you, teaching you, coming alongside you, and, and showing you how to be like Jesus. He's partnering with you, and he, and he loves you, and he bought you, all of you, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I'm not calling anybody ugly here, just as a disclaimer. <laughs> so you see, this is where we circle back to basic number one. I can become more like Jesus by obeying his teachings. God honors the work and the humility of letting him in and the work that you do to hustle with him, to clean. <laughs> God knew that you couldn't live
live up to the standard of being perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. But that's why Jesus paid the price and then he made a way. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to actually start walking down that path he made. The life of a disciple of Christ is relearning how to say no and how to say yes by his very spirit being in us. And as we do this, we find ourselves on, on a journey of becoming something more beautiful and wonderful. We become someone more alive than before. We become more like Jesus, and in doing so, we become closer and closer in our own relationship with God himself. So, so let me close with a, a, a portion of from 1 John. Um, it's the tail end of 2, and then actually jumping kind of to later on in chapter 3. But It says this, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Skipping a little further ahead. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us to. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know that he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. That's where my notes end. <laughs> but I was, I, I was thinking more and more about this imagery of the house of your heart, the house of your own spirit. There's that phrase, it's like, God, we don't make room for you. We give you the whole room. Like, come on, he wants the whole house, not just the room. <laughs> so I, let, let's close our eyes. Let's start like, going, going to God in prayer about this, that, that there are rooms that need to be opened and that the Holy Spirit needs to be let into, that there are messes that, that need to be worked on, that there are messes that we need to scrub and scrub hard. But we need that power of the Spirit. We need, God, we need more of you. We need more of you because there are depths, there are hallways that are inside of us that we didn't know are even there yet. And you are just waiting for us to discover. You are waiting for us to grow. You are waiting for new rooms and new gifts to be discovered. And so, Father, I, I, I just pray that this be a moment, that this be a space where we we welcome you in, that we, <laughs> we say, you know what, here's the keys to the whole house. You don't just have to meet me in the living room. You can go in every room. So, knowing, <laughs> knowing most everyone here, it's not just letting Jesus take over your life for the first time. It's letting Jesus take over your whole life every time and every moment and, and to really reside and be with him. That's, that's what we're about here at Takeover Church. And so... Spirit, and feel free to pray this with me, to repeat after me. God, there is more of me that I haven't let you into yet. Holy Spirit, I open the doors of my heart for you. I open the doors of my very being to you. God, I want to live. I want, I want to really know what life is. I want to know what life with you is like. I want that intimacy, that dwelling. So, Father, whatever it is in, in, in my heart, in, in, in our hearts here, 
whatever it is that <laughs> that we're holding tightly to, that we're keeping the doors locked. God, I just pray that you give us a, a, your revelation. You, you bring to mind what it is that still needs to be, that still needs to be open, that you still need to be let into. Friends, it might come really quick. <laughs> and it might be one of those messes that you keep returning to. But God is faithful. He's with you. He is still teaching. He is still grooming. He wants to be there. Listen and, 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 and ask for that prompting. Ask for that, 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 that feeling. Ask for that revelation. And I know, I know, like, Scott, I'm thinking about you. You've been on this, on this train of just this hunger of more spiritual giftings and seeing that fall in this place. So, Father, I pray right now that you wear that, that space between heaven and earth real thin, that you, let, that you let heaven start raining down in this place and breaking in. Father, I pray that you open new doors of new gifts. I pray that you open new doors of new gifts of prophecy. I open that you open new doors of, of interpretation, of speaking in tongues, of, of, of prayer. God, I, I pray that you, you start grooming and making young men wise. Father, I start asking that you give us wisdom and knowledge that is beyond just ourselves, but instead that we find it in you and we find it in scripture. And Lord, that it's so we can, we can know you. We can give words to you. Paul says that we should all hunger for prophecy. So I ask for that for all of us. just this time and place where we get to be near you, where we get to feel you, we get to experience you, we get to be your bride. God, you are good. You're a good Father, Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We love you, Lord. Come fill us up.